I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. This never happened to the other fellow. For your eyes only, darling. Whoever she was must have scared the living daylights out of her. What of you? Hello and welcome. You are joining us for another episode of For Your Ears Only. This is Optimism Vaccine's premier James Bond podcast. We've navigated to that by being our only James Bond podcast, but you know, we got to have a monopoly on some things here. Uh, I'm Jack Eason. I'm joined by Jake Tropila. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing just fine, Jack. How are you? I'm pretty good. We, we're keeping this up. We're we're kind of rolling up a little head of steam on this. We are episode. This is episode 003, which sure brings is. us, of course, to the third James Bond movie, and this one's a big one. This is Goldfinger. So um, yeah. yeah, this is this is going to be a, a good conversation piece. I, I'm going to say right up front. I think this was this is probably my, my the most enjoyable one to date for me. This is just. Uh, a quintessential James Bond movie. So um, I'm, I'm trying to think where should where should we start with such a, an outlandish film as Goldfinger? Well, yeah, that's a, it's a very very. Of course, I think that's the only appropriate word to describe it is quintessential. I feel like this is the this is sort of the shorthand for what people consider to be what is the best Bond film in the entire series. It all it all comes back here to Goldfinger, 1964, directed by. Guy Hamilton. Um, uh, I don't know where to begin. Why not? Why not start with the beginning of the film? Sounds like a good place to start. Yeah, this is. Um, was it here that we we really set in motion something that became kind of a mainstay for the Bond series, which is that you have a pre-credit sequence that genuinely is kind of standalone. It doesn't really yeah. doesn't really fit in with the rest of it. And from Russia with Love, we had I think it was a training sequence. It was that assassination sequence, which did actually fit into the larger Bond kind of ethos or whatever. And right. this one is just involves Bond just randomly sneaking into a place and blowing it up. And then, uh, and then being seduced by a flamenco dancer, and who's actually an evil agent, and having to, to knock her out in a very ungentlemanly fashion and kill an assassin. Uh, it's a very, yeah. and it kind of really it gets the it gets the the movie off to a a, a kind of real pulse pounding, exciting start. If you're immediately dumped in, we know Bond, we know exactly what we're you know to expect from this kind of a film at this point. I think they're really starting to put the put everything together, grease up the wheels, and just really it's getting it's starting to feel really slick and precise by the time we get to this film. And um, yeah, this is this is the one where the formula really sort of locks in place, and and all the other Bond films will kind of be judged from from this point on from Goldfinger, absolutely because Doctor No and from our with love are still feeling things out you know they nail a few things some things not quite as consistent but here um goldfinger establishes its tone and intent immediately in this opening five minutes absolutely so we have we have our gun barrel sequence as ever then we have our pre-credit sequence and then we have we do we have the theme and uh, we got to dwell a little bit on the theme because again this is like well mm -hmm. before we get to the theme i just wanted to say a few few things of note of the uh the opening credit Uh, sequence um Bond uh, scuba scuba dives into uh, what is essentially a factory that is has an undercover heroin smuggling plant. Uh, he gets out of the water um, in a 
wetsuit, he blows up the plant, and then he unzips the wetsuit, and he's got this pristine, <laughs> looks like it's just came out of the dry cleaner, white tuxedo with a red rose on the lapel. Goes to a goes to a bar down the road, and it, the the place explodes. And this is kind of like what I think everyone's image of James Bond is, is that he does a mission and then he, he has got a suave tuxedo on. And uh, it, it's kind of <laughs> kind of ridiculous that because I noticed he's also wearing his dress shoes when he gets yes, out of the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm just thinking it would be soaking wet. Yeah, I feel like swimsuit or wetsuit technology may not be, even now, up to the standards James Bond is exercising. He's truly unflappable in this scene, which is really good because he starts with a mm-hmm. seagull on his head as part of his, as part right. of his cover. It's like a, a dead <laughs> duck or dead seagull like a something. Like a bird just like floating in towards the coast. <laughs> no one would ever suspect such a thing oh, um wonder where i got that yes yeah yeah i mean i just imagine Probably the q branch. yeah the q briefing for that this is your dead bird hash fantastic yeah. so yeah see he he it's a, it's like you say i think it is it really sets a tone this he blows it up and then he just goes to a nightclub to have a drink um you know because why why wouldn't you you know it's it's thirsty work and meets up with a right. beautiful flamenco dancer who is actually a repeat character um she played by uh nadja reagan who is actually as we previously discussed if for anyone who has not listened to our from russia with love episode please do so where i describe karen bay's thirsty girlfriend and mm. she she returns it's the same actress totally different role but you know, i did not know that yeah so so why not Very like nice. what yeah why not so um yeah she gets and and she remains uh basically unsatisfied in this one because bond is he, he doesn't get to do anything with her because she's actually setting him up to be assassinated and he has to... No, he uses her as a human shield. He does. It's a deeply uh, not, uh, not very suave movement there. He pretty much uses her. She gets karate chopped to the back of the head by a would-be assassin. I think after he navigates her into the way, which is not exactly the coolest thing you can do i guess she's a bad person whatever and then of course he throws the man into the uh, into the bathtub and electrocutes him um yeah which which brings Drops in, the immortal yes mortal line yes shocking positively shocking which is yes marvelous i mean i feel like schwarzenegger took so many notes like the whole say something after you killed him seems like really came into its own in, in the james bond universe and i feel this is one of the first one that's just really like haha someone died i'm awesome he's very flipping about death in the series as we as we learned to see a damaged man (laughs) but anyhow so from there we 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 flip into the into the opening credits theme which of course this is the first time we have the full i guess integration of everything we expect from the subsequent bond movies we have the music we have the scantily clad women in silhouette and the projection but we have we're in from russia with love we had music and then we had a from russia with love theme song that played during the movie goldfinger has shirley bassey belting out the title of the film and the title of the song in music over the credits uh, here's a mm-hmm. here's a little taste of that Oh, so good. <laughs> it's, if you got to open it, you might as well open it in style. And it's just, uh, it's such a great thing. And I was like, the opening credits have, again, we have projecting over, you know, the female bodies and whatever, but we have um, scenes. There she goes. I'm gonna, um, yeah, I'm gonna let it play on the background while we talk. Why not? Why not? But um, yeah. So she, uh, or rather, the, the they have sequences from the previous two movies. And I feel this is really the establishment of a franchise. This is they know it's working. They know audiences want more. 
Oh yeah, they they're like, all right, from Rush with Love worked really well. I think we should do this opening title sequence again. Let's let's project them on gold bodies. It's Goldfinger. It's thematic. It works. Um, it's interesting is the images they project on the film is uh, snippets of scenes from later in the movie. It's kind of like a, a teaser of what's to come. That's true. They, which I, I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. They've got some. And interesting enough, actually, uh, it's one of the actresses who appears in the film. It's she's the woman they're using as a film screen in it. It's an interesting double use of your, you know, actors. Is it the actress who plays Dink? It is Dink indeed. Yeah, Dink. Uh, wonderful. Voluptuous Dink. The, yes. Man oh, talk, baby. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Oh, man. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I feel like Shirley Bassey, this is the quintessential. She'd sing some later Bond theme tunes. I feel like Goldfinger, those is great. Like, it's this belting song. Ruined a thousand karaoke nights to come, I'm sure, as people got up to think they were equal to Bassey on it. Um, and you've got yeah. what, what I really enjoy about the movie, or like I feel like it's a really good and uh, kind of analogy for the or analogous to the whole movie because it's a really enjoyable. Goldfinger's this great theme, it's got you know a wonderful operatic sense of grandeur, and then it's also deeply silly. I mean, they rhyme Goldfinger with cold finger at one point <laughs> it's like well i mean what else what else are you gonna true. do what it's else the only, only thing. i don't know how much stuff rhymes with it but you know and it's it's really it's just like a weird reversion of diamonds are a girl's best friend uh, except this one's about gold so you know if anyone ever needed that to happen that's that's what we got yeah so we have the uh, iconic uh bond thing and uh as far as theme songs go this is up near the top for me i mean there's a lot a lot more that i love and know well but uh goldfinger is classic it'll never for sure um so we get into the film proper and a couple things i noticed is just sort of how well like the the thought process went into some of these opening shots because we cut to florida and there's a helicopter tracking shot of a hotel and that goes behind the hotel to see a guy on top of a diving board he jumps off of the high dive and it cuts to a side view, a profile shot of what's like an underwater uh, tank, I guess, where you can view the people in the pool. And then the camera pans over from that and we see Felix Leiter walking into the hotel lobby and there's an ice rink on the other side of him. And I just think the way that those shots are kind of stitched together is really interesting how thought out it was to, to put this hotel sequence together. I don't know. What, what were your, what were your yeah, thoughts on this? Really, yeah, you say a really great dynamic kind of an opening and pretty pretty impressive considering apparently they only shot in Miami for like five days. And Felix, I think, was the only actor who was there. Everything else, all the oh, yeah. all subsequent stuff was all shot in Pinewood in England. So this was, a, yeah. you know, it's a, yeah, it's a really well put together introduction. And it gives you, again, that sense of immediately glow popping luxury um i love their their uh, resort that they're in because i swear there's like three women for every man around the pool which is like <laughs> the, the ideal marketing uh, of this you know there's and and yeah you say it's just it kind of sets a tone of immediately of intrigue we're wondering what's going to happen what's happening you know and and of course we we have felix who again is played by someone new we, like I, I feel like one of the great recurring things of bond films at this point is that felix leiter cannot be played by the same man twice yeah with two exceptions he's a different guy every time uh, so yeah. this guy played by Kecklinder, um not not a very memorable felix leiter i'm afraid uh, yeah, but you know, poor poor Jack Lord wanted uh, wanted more money because he he sensed that the Bond series would be big, and they basically told him to f off. Yeah. So uh, so we get a different Felix every time now. It's a cursed cursed role in the series if there ever was one. 
would seem that way for sure so um yeah we so so we get into i think uh, another really great uh, what, what i really like about this film is i feel it's got a lot of little playful sequences and this it kind of opens straight up with one of these which is our introduction to auric goldfinger mm. who is of course our main villain played by gert Ferber, yes who is again dubbed a dubbed main villain is becoming a mainstay of these films uh he had apparently two too heavy a uh, german accent though he spoke english he apparently wasn't able to speak it about quickly enough to really make it work but i got so, i gotta say yeah. for a performance that is almost entirely dubbed uh hardly noticeable it works no really no. well he is and i think goldfinger really is i think the first great bond villain oh, like the, the head up villain and, and he kind of sets that tone and he's yeah he, he i say he's a great first great bond film but we're introduced him and he's basically just a card cheat and he's yeah. playing cards with some dude in it and he has his assistant jill masterson uh just spying on his opponent's cards from a from a room up, up high with binoculars and he's just using to just you know scrub some dude to some loose change it seems really petty honestly but at the same time it does i guess set him up as the sort of just general asshole who loves winning no matter what he's the kind of guy that hates to lose and bond is the kind of guy that likes to see him sweat which is a very i think very incredible dynamic between the two is is one of my favorite things about bond is when not when he's like trying to i mean obviously it's great when he's trying to dismantle the villain's plot and kill the villain but when he's just messing with a villain i think that's when he's at the most fun Certainly, yeah, and we get we get a pl- plenty of that here, which is, and I feel this this movie I think introduces even and kind of ups the the humor element a little bit more. Mm. Um, we we have a little bit more humorous exchanges. This also you might mention this is the first film. This is directed by Guy Hamilton. This is yes. So this is the first non Terence Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bond film, so and, and I, I think Hamilton took credit for introducing some extra elements of humor, particularly between Bond and Q, which we will will get to in a little bit. So you know, it's it's kind of what what I really like about this film, and I suppose what I would because I was thinking back on it because I, I watched it and I thought that was of the you know, I know we're only three movies in, so it's not exactly like a grand statement over the the whole series as we're doing this to queue up for the twenty fifth James Bond movie. That's right, but um. Three three movies in, this was certainly the one that I enjoyed the most overall. It was interesting to me to think about it, though, because it honestly has, in in terms of its individual ingredients, I don't think its individual ingredients are maybe as good as From Russia With Love. From Russia With Love, I think, has, like, maybe better, you know, kind of a, some better action sequences, a better Bond girl, you know, we'll, we'll discuss mm-hmm. the various elements as we go along. I feel like From Russia With Love is a tidier script, maybe with like a little more clever elements to it. Yeah. But the overall effect of Goldfinger, there is just, it's kind of nudging the entire, the, the material out just slightly into the 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 ridiculous from the sublime. Yeah. And it's just that extra shading really works incredibly well here. And we know it, later it will lapse into parody and maybe it's already doing just a little bit but just the right amount later on we i know we have some bond films that are going to get really broad on uh, some of their humor and their their gadgetry and their self-referential elements yeah but this one is just really pleasant because it's just such a big film full of really big ideas and spectacle and it doesn't really hang together when you examine some of it you're kind of like what none of this really makes as much sense it doesn't have like the level of of plotted nuance and intrigue but that 
doesn't matter as much when you're just having so much fun with what's there. Yeah, I agree. And from Russia with Love too, it's, it's important to say it's it's one of the it's a very serious film. Um, yes. certainly compared to this one, it's they really double down on the 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 spy intrigue and the the sort of uh, the global um, just Bond's uh, mission and how it, much of a global threat specter is. Uh, Goldfinger is like, all right, let's let's loosen our ties a little, have a little fun. What can we do? We've made two successful films. We've got all this money. Let's, uh, you know, let's uh, let's go. Let's take this up a notch and uh, enjoy, have fun doing it. Don't they don't need to be serious all the time. And sure. And yeah, I think uh, Goldfinger really sort of establishes this fun tone, not just like with how the plot and how everything comes together and how and how really nice the action is, but like even just the the characters, like Red Grant is an ice cold villain in uh, in killer in from Russia with love and in goldfinger uh our goldfinger himself he's he's kind of a jolly man to to be around um shares a lot of friendly conversations with bond even though they're trying to stop each other so there's a lot a lot of that in here which i really like as well there is i think i think they really they they warmed up because i mean it's a mainstay particularly from dr no there was that camaraderie between bond and dr no just knowing you know they have their dinner together they're very polite you know they kind of understand that positions they occupy within this global espionage game it's the same element here but as you say it's it's kind of colored with the things like how bond likes to basically mess with goldfinger and make him angry and goldfinger doesn't like showing any kind of weakness and he's used to winning but he's used to winning through cheating um so yeah you uh, we, we have that in the card game later on we have that great golf game which is just uh, which is such a great sequence again of just pure just and, and it has it has the tone of just really of like um you know kind of like rich boys messing around with each other in, in a field kind of you know on a golf course just kind of messing with each other and, and pushing yeah. each other's buttons purposely but of course bond is far superior at pushing buttons and then goldfinger and i think goldfinger is an interesting character in that he's i know he has all these things like where he has gold everywhere you know like he has his he, he has like gold in his outfits and his car and things his car is kind of an odd one well i'll mention a little bit about that later on in my thoughts on that but like it's weird that he's obsessed with gold but like honestly he just wants to be rich and i feel like that's not an unusual obsession to have with gold it's true if you own a lot of gold you are in a good financial position um and they like color that around with a couple of other little bits and pieces but fundamentally he really just seems to be a very rich person who likes being rich i don't know i like that toying with us and and his his scheme is just to make his gold more valuable Mm. That's all it really is. It's true, yes. And it's just so like, I, I know they have a couple of weird things. And we have, obviously, uh, Jill Masterson, who, I mean, I guess we go back to the plot, Bond. Let's, uh, yeah, let's talk about Jill so, for yeah, a minute. Yeah. So, so Bond breaks into uh, Jill Masterson or, or Goldfinger's hotel room in a weird I, sequence. I love this. Yeah, he just he takes, <laughs> yeah. takes the, the maid's hotel key and she goes, oh, that's Mr. Goldfinger's room. And Bond just says, yes, I know. And without any question, walks in. It's pretty lack security, I've got to say. Um, yeah. I feel like if you if you physically harass a hotel employee and get, in, get access to someone else's room, probably security are going to be coming up there. But no such thing yeah so bond shows up jill masterson is in there i think she's just listening to she's broadcasting the radio and she's got her binoculars so bond of course 
turns on the moves, which seem to work uh, every single time with very little uh, force required. Although, God, yeah. we'll, we'll discuss force in some subsequent films. <laughs> but uh, Jill seems uh, Jill seems into it. So she, she does... Uh, I kind of appreciate it, actually. She doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. She's she's a Bond girl, kind of. She's played by Shirley Eaton, we should mention, who's a glamour model. And also, she, she did some... I, I guess she was an actor, first and foremost. Um, but... Um, I appreciate she doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. She pretty much just kind of like has sex with James and then she gets murdered in an iconic fashion, admittedly. But I appreciate that pretty much her only role in this is that she hates her job and she's cool with just messing up her boss's day. Yeah. And I appreciate, I feel that's very, that makes her very relatable <laughs> as a person. I'm going to like, yeah, okay, you go. Um, but it doesn't end well for her as she is suffocated in gold paint. Yeah. So she has less than five minutes of screen time, but she's already with their, with her death, their death being covered in gold paint. It was one of the most uh, iconic images, uh, not just in James Bond, but I think in all of cinema. Um, yeah. Just the, just the shot of Bond leaning over the bed on this, looking at this golden corpse. Um, and it's it's really, uh, it's kind of interesting how little Jill Masterson has to do with the plot, but just this iconic death sequence and the, the idea that uh, somebody can die from skin suffocation, as they say, is kind of ridiculous. But yeah, uh, I am... Yeah, I'm curious how the death worked. How did they, because the sheets don't have gold on, they moved her somewhere and sprayed her in liquid gold, yeah, which so, was molten? I, I'm not sure. Do you have insights? I'm guessing Ajab uh, dipped her in the bathtub or something. I don't know. Um, Ajab <laughs> is uh, Goldfinger's henchman, by the way. Also iconic. Yes. But uh, yes, yeah, I, I, I honestly, the, 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 the this is the thing about Bond films is that you kind of don't really want to, backtrack too much on the and say wait how did they you just kind of have to accept okay so this is how it happened uh, that's very I, much the story I don't know this like if uh, odd job knocked her knocked jill masterson unconscious and then throw out some plastic sheets in the hotel room and just started lathering paint on her body so that she quote unquote suffocate but um it's it's been it's already been scientifically proven that you can't uh you cannot suffer from skin suffocation and the actress has actually uh had a patch on her stomach that was not painted just in case so yes. uh, even though she's lying face down on a bed she could still breathe out of her stomach good to know good yeah. she survived and lived a, a full and happy life yeah uh, i suppose going i i because i meant it we we should go back and just before that we do have dink who's blonde's masseuse in the in the hotel and features yeah. the first i mean a part of the fun of going back is is looking at how elements of these movies haven't aged particularly well and dink is one of those elements she's actually oh, a, what do you, why, whatever do you mean no no i i yeah whatever could i mean so yeah she's massaging bond bond decides he has something else to do so he basically just slaps her on the ass and tells her to leave because he's got man talk to uh, man pursue talk. which yeah wow. try doing that now <laughs> well and differently i was kind of surprised i actually find out that the actress margaret nolan who plays dink um was she was a glamour model she appeared later on in some carry-on films but apparently now she like works in visual arts um like she's an artist oh, so yeah i did, Good for her, I guess. But uh, for many, she will be very much recalled. And she's also, as you mentioned earlier, the body they project the opening credits on. So, yeah, mm-hmm. she was she, she had a, quite a lot to do here, despite uh, being a not really important character. Calling her Dink was probably not a, I mean, 
I guess that minimizes it. But she's not by by any means the goofiest named woman in this film. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that with a certain Miss Galore coming in later on. Right, more. This is the most iconic women, and are all in this Bond film. They do. They, we've got some good ones. Yeah. So, um, we'll, where where do we go from there? So we've got the hotel. We've got the introduction with Goldfinger, and um, there's an issue that they know that Goldfinger is smuggling gold. They're wondering how he's doing it, um, which I don't know. It's, it's kind of like one of those things. Is like it, it feels it feels interesting, like a smaller plot line compared to like previously. He was involved in like real high tech espionage of like rescuing a decoder and a doctor. No, it was a guy with a radar missile deflection system taking out u.s missiles so it's interesting this one starts off almost small and that he's hunting a basically a, a just a petty smuggler a money smuggler but of course it transpires it, it kind of transposes into a much larger grandiose uh, scheme by the end of the film yeah so um goldfinger's up to something uh they're not entirely sure what or how he's doing it so they send bond to trade gold with him they give bond what they have is their only gold bar in MI6, which is a block of, or a brick of Nazi gold worth 5,000 pounds. Um, this takes us to our first official sequence in Q Branch, where Bond gets a tricked out car, aka the most famous car, the Aston Martin DB5. Yes. Yeah, the Q Branch sequence in this is great, because we do get, we, if we're from Russia with Love had that crazy training camp sequence for Spectre mm -hmm. that had just all these guys doing random crap in a room, like, and it just looked deeply unsafe and kind of pointless. Yeah. Uh, so Q Branch, apparently the British have their own version. The Q Branch is full of people just executing insane experiments all together in one room, yeah. including sleeping gas out of parking meters, which honestly, I don't think you should hang out in a room where they're just deploying sleeping gas, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing about the Q branches, as we'll see in later films, is that every because there's a Q branch, obviously at MI6, but every every country Bond goes to, there's always an office set up for M, and then he goes into like the basement area of that office, and there's always a Q branch set up. Like at one point in I think The Spy Who Loved Me, they go into these uh, Egyptian catacombs, and M has an office there, and he has a neighboring office for money pennies there, and there's Q branches operating like in these ancient ruins. So <laughs> of everywhere course. Bond goes, uh, Q branch follows. Yes, and and why not? So yes, we we get introduced to his uh, this one. It kind of really ups the the ante again. I, I think part of what makes uh, Goldfinger so well loved and so fun among the among the Bond films is that it it really ups the gadgetry. We had a couple of little mm -hmm. gadgets here and there previously, but this is an entire car with just crazy stuff and we have rotating license plates which is like pretty pretty low tech really but you know certainly it's fancier than like Le Samurai where uh, Delon's character has to like pull into a garage and have a guy manually change the license plate we'll have none of that with the British Secret Service they have one that just rotates to a new yeah. number each time but then it has you know it can shoot oil slick it has blades for cutting out stuff cutting out other people's cars and then has an ejector seat so um, they really they, they do not uh, they do not hold back at all in this one this is really pushing straight from like things that maybe might work to really crazy stuff yeah and the, it, it's funny how we talk about whether or not bond gadgets are uh reverse engineered from a later part in the film where bond needs to get out of a jam <laughs> and this really kind of feel like check like feels like chekhov's tricked out car um, so, because oh, yeah. he specifically introduces all these things, he's, he's also got a uh, it's bulletproof from machine guns, and there's a smoke screen. 
Um, so, uh, so I think I think it's safe to say we'll be seeing some of these uh, gadgets deployed at a later part in the film. Sure. Yeah, it's inter- it was interesting actually because they're really they're all deployed in very tight kind of. It's almost like just a, I guess with much of all the stuff in the car, it's really the car itself is just the gadget. And it's all deployed almost at once in one big one big car chase. It's yeah, it's um, true. It's like they they just go one after another. It's like okay, let's see the smoke screen. All right, there goes one car. Now let's see the oil slick, and I also, so they are really just yeah. sort of bing bang boom. I do, I do wonder. Again, we might be we might be digging a little bit too much under the hood, but Q just shows Bond this car. He, they don't get inside. They don't discuss how any of this stuff is operated. And then when when Bond works it, he just pulls up the middle console, and it's just a bunch of unlabeled little toggle switches. How like where do you drink? Because it's not like you can just drive off and, and experiment with this. Because someone's got to reload the oil slick, and where's he going to unleash an oil slick? Just you know, on a road. Where does he train? How does he figure this? Well, out? well, there is the there is that little moment where Bond thinks he's ready to go, but Q like needs to essentially walk him through the entire instruction manual, and it just kind of cuts to this shot of Bond looking sort of depressed that he has to sit through all of these instructions <laughs> while Q teaches him how the car works, so he can bring it back in one piece. Yeah, because you feel you know um, he'll figure it out. He he's James Bond. Yeah. He's always going to get the right button, no matter what. Um, exactly. So yes. So. So Bond eventually meets uh, Goldfinger, and this leads us to our golf sequence, um, which is a sequence I really like, uh, just for how how sort of low key it is. But it makes this is like the only time I've ever seen golf get played, and I think it's fascinating. I'm not a particular fan of the sport. I don't know how you feel about golf. No, yeah, I'm not going to challenge you. This invigorates golf for me. <laughs> this little sequence of them. It is fun because I mean, I guess it's it's the element that golf is very much the the apogee of a gentleman's sport and of course it's it's completely defined in this by cheating there is subterfuge in how they set up that they're playing that james bond gets himself ingratiating the game they they bet on a bar yeah. of nazi gold which feels like it might be a dig at the upper class anyway that's the kind of thing that they would like have a bet over and then of course it's defined by Goldfinger cheats, but Bond knows he's cheating. So then Bond cheats, and Goldfinger doesn't spot that. And then, of course, he manages to wrangle it up that Goldfinger, who thinks he's winning for the whole game through his cheating, ends up losing in the last hole by a technicality, which, of course, brings it right back into the rule book. It's very gentlemanly that he has to concede the game because he's been caught red-handed, violating just something that's actually in the rule book, despite the fact that they've thrown that out for the entire yeah. rest of the game. And it is, it's a great uh, battle of, of wits between these two guys. And of course, Bond is always on top, but there's this great kind of fascination between the two of them, which I think is really, really does go a long way towards making certainly Goldfinger a more interesting villain. He's given a lot of time here to... Like, I suppose the thing with Goldfinger is that really there's a time where he's just kind of out and about... Uh, socializing. I mean, Bond has his his meetings with his villains in previous films, but they're always very uh, kind of straight laced and in business. Whereas Goldfinger, you catch him on his leisure time, and he's still a douchebag. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and but but he it builds his character, and then of course we start to unearth how mad and evil he actually is as he unveils his Operation Grand Slam. So yes, we we have our, our uh, the golf game and. Uh, definitely one of the better golf games i've seen caught on cinema it's great too because we're also introduced to uh goldfinger's bodyguard slash henchman slash caddy uh odd job <laughs> who is a remarkable henchman and also uh, i think the most famous of all the henchmen if not for jaws and um he really sets the bar as to how henchmen are because he's not he's silent 
uh, except for a few grunts. Uh, he's got a deadly hat, and he's also like super strong to the point where he seems to be impervious to pain and blows about the body. Yes, he's he's a great character in this, and he's he's played by by. Uh, Harold Sakata, who's actually a Japanese Hawaiian uh, mm-hmm. Olympic weightlifter, and he did professional wrestling as well, so he's got the physicality for the role. Uh, he plays Korean in this because uh, Goldfinger just seems to just employ a whole bunch of Koreans. He's basically like Matt Groening, but uh, just uh, <laughs> it's got this warehouse full of Koreans that he just keeps, and they they're busy doing his bidding. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, oh, but oh, well, if, if, if you have to be either killing people or animating in a dark room, I think killing people would be the way to go. It's true. It it certainly looks more more entertaining there. And he and our job yeah. is of course the the head Korean, and he has he has his hat, which mysteriously either cuts through things or just import like hits things with blunt force i don't know how that works it doesn't well it has a it has a razor brim because when he he takes off the head of the statue and the hat lands next to the fallen statue's head and we see like there's this sort of metal rim lining the uh, inside of his hat he does so but it's, then, like, it's like a razor hat yeah so it's a razor hat but then later on he we can discuss this too but um so jill masterson has a sister we'll get to this tilly masterson yeah. uh, and she is ostensibly killed i was confused about this so i had to read up about it because i was wondering because uh, she disappears from the movie so i guess she was kind of killed by odd job yeah we're jumping ahead a little bit here but anyhow odd job hits her with her hat yeah, i think it's okay and and he but, well, he hits her he hits her with her hat i'm i'm just assuming that um since I'm, I'm guessing just due to what might be the haze code or whatever that they couldn't show a head come off and or blood shoot out. It's true. So yeah, it could just be something like that. With the hat falls over. Yeah, because she she looks to me more like it just you know hits her, but like this thing embeds and steal other times. I'm like, does he have a set? Like, does he change out the brims? I don't know. And I, and I also love just the fact that like Ooh. he's known because he can just throw a hat really well. And that's a ridiculous <laughs> skill to have. And it's a ridiculous skill to fear someone for. And it's like, don't mess with him. He throws a deadly hat very well. It's like a, a it's, yeah. it's like a fantastically, almost like big trouble in little China, just absurd element. But that's what he does. And it works because he, he's got the physical presence to pull it off. Yeah. So um, I suppose I suppose we should move on ahead. Um, where, where do we go from the golf game? Does this bring us to Switzerland as Bond starts tracking him? Brings us to Switzerland because, yeah, one of the gadgets he gets is a tracker. He throws that in the trunk of Goldfinger's car and follows him across Europe. And then uh, we're introduced to Tilly Masterson, the sister of Jill Masterson, the woman killed by gold. And um, I didn't write down the actress's name, but I think of the three films we watched so far, she gives the worst performance yet. I don't know how you <laughs> she, feel about her, but it's just uh, very flat and kind of wooden. Yeah, it's, it's not great. I heard the actress's name is Tanya Malice, and she is a model. And um, this is actually Goldfinger is actually her only fiction film role. She appeared in a documentary about modeling prior to this. I think it was just called Girls, 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 which I don't know if Motley Crue stole it from there, but very much on point as a title goes. But uh, this was really her only fiction role. She was not an actress, which I think we're all, uh, we're, none of us are too surprised about that. She's weirdly enough, she's Helen Mirren's first cousin. So that's something. Oh, wow. Uh, as these things go, things you learn when you start digging around in, in Wikipedia. Um, but one thing I will say is that uh, more than her bad acting, she is the worst shot in she's like a stormtrooper bond girl because uh, she pretty much nearly shoot just see where James Bond thinks he's under assault because a bullet hits near him. 
and it turns out she was trying to shoot Goldfinger at the time, and Goldfinger is several hundred yards further down a steep precipice. So for that shot to have come close to him, she's just she she's looking for revenge. She knows Goldfinger killed her sister, and she's uh, it, it's hard to have sympathy for her when she gets off by odd job. He's probably just doing her a favor. She's clearly not cut out for this for this job. But um, yeah, she she doesn't have a lot of time in this movie either, which I think is kind of maybe. One of the elements of this film is that we we do have kind of, I guess, three major Bond girls. We have the two Mastersons, and then we have Pussy Galore who comes in. The the two Mastersons really, they're they're there. They have their their role to play in the film. They kind of disappear very, very quickly. They are dispensed with in, in very quick course. Um, yeah so and and the masters i mean yeah they kind of jill masterson's death sort of sets the plot in motion but yeah they're they're kind of forgotten and and tilly masterson is almost like a speed bump in the narrative um but i guess she's necessary because bond goes to the factory where goldfinger is to try to stop goldfinger and tilly is there trying to do her sniping thing again and this leads into the car chase where Bond uses all the tricked out uh, DB5 gadgets yeah. to off some of the cars behind him. And again, this is one of those things where uh, he uses the oil slick on a car that's tailing him and the car swerves off the side of a road off of a cliff. And as soon as it, as soon as that car is airborne, it just explodes. That's what you get. Like, I think I, yeah, I think, uh, I think maybe cars are like some kind of aerial conductor of electricity where <laughs> the rubber wheels need to be touched with the pavement at all times. And if not, they will explode. That's, my theory that's that's better than my that, that's better than my theory my theory just involved that to encourage safe driving there's an altimeter put in on all of the cars in the 60s and if you if you have a certain amount of distance between you and the road it just blows up because you're yeah. clearly out of your league um but yeah it's a highly explosive car and i i was doing the the death tally which we'll get to later on but i was a little confused during that explosion because it switches between like four to three people in the car between shots and um, but i'm going to count four i think the three people was the stunt setup i think it's probably just a yeah. dummy in the back of the car but um yeah so so it's it's a pretty good it's a pretty great sequence we have this scene in the forest with the with the car chase and bond deploys all of his all of his gadgets pretty much in quick succession and then he gets foiled by a mirror which is a little bit disappointing honestly yeah uh, that there's just a mirror at the end of an alleyway and his own headlights blind him and he crashes the car. Yeah, he, he thinks he's playing chicken with another car, but it's just his own car that he's Yeah, it's weird. Into. I guess it's an elegantly simple element to this. But this is also where there's also a spying here that uh, Bond uncovers Operation Grand Slam. Although he doesn't know what it is, he just gets the, the name. And this is one of the, one of as we say, maybe Goldfinger's not as cleverly nuanced in his plot mechanics as From Russia With Love. But this is something that will come in that, that Bond bluffs later on, that he does know all about Operation yeah. Grand Slam. Slam, which is kind of a, a funny name, I feel, for <laughs> Operation Grand Slam. It just sounds like it's a Denny's dinner that they've put together. Uh, it's, it's kind of a goofy name for a grandiose crime uh, endeavor. He's going to treat all of his workers to breakfast. It's what That's he, it. He's going to seven ninety nine and the worst customer service they can they can imagine. That's and leave with full bellies is providing the actual manager gets seated. I've not had a good experience at Denny's in case anyone's wondering. And indigestion. <laughs> yes, indeed. So one yeah. thing I want to, one thing I want to just add real quick, um, after he crashes in that mirror and he's knocked unconscious, uh, there's just, just a great little character moment. I love 
where uh, Aja walks up to the that scene and he looks at the broken mirror and he just sort of smiles at himself in the mirror. I just like the <laughs> shot of him smiling back at himself in the mirror. It's a really that's it's a, a really nice little touch. That's true. That and that is great because we say Aja does he he doesn't say anything. So that's like a little glimpse into his inner life and it almost it almost reminds yeah. me a little bit actually of like the closing shot of like a bittersweet life with the, the action hero there doing his his little shadow boxing in the reflection of the window and it's almost like this whole inner that movie has a whole inner world transposed into the action almost as a question yeah, of whether, like that, uh, you know there's a question whether or not anything in that in a bittersweet life if the whole action sequence that is actually just a daydream by a bored dude um, and it's kind of almost like i wonder if we can transpose this into was was is goldfinger just all jobs daydream probably not because he dies so maybe it doesn't work yeah. quite that well but yeah you're right it's a great little just odd little sequence to just throw in but why not he's really pleased he felled him with with a mirror the grow the world's greatest secret agent yeah so uh this leads to another another series highlight uh the infamous laser sequence bond is strapped to a table and uh, goldfinger standing over him and there's a laser slowly riding up to where bond's crotch is and uh this scene is great um because it has the immortal line uh where bond says do you expect me to talk and goldfinger says no mr bond i expect you to die that is Terrific line. fantastic and it's, all, it's also great because it's not uh where bond it's the only sequence where bond is pretty much he's pretty much doomed um and then he starts talking and uh, bluffing hopefully that'll get him out of it but he doesn't have any gadgets on him there's no felix slider or cia coming to bust him out he is he's pretty much gonna be split in half unless goldfinger does something yeah it's it's a great scene because there is that kind of realization that he doesn't have a way out and he tightens up and there's a real tenseness to it of what he's yeah. going to do and this is as we say one of the elements where bond relies on his wits bluffs that he knows more than he actually does and goldfinger releases him to keep him alive for a little bit longer which becomes maybe a bit of a plot hole later on because goldfinger then keeps bond alive pretty much for the rest of the movie and it's like maybe at a certain point you probably don't need to keep him alive because you're actually enacting your plan but yeah. so be it and it, yeah it's, it's really good i love the the whole the laser which lasers were very much more considerably more uh science fictiony i guess in, in yeah. the early 60s than they are now and yeah. uh, i like that also it's an attack on literally james bond's least secret weapon as it cuts up towards his crotch yeah so um also, yeah so he they shot this mm -hmm. with a there's a guy underneath the table with a blowtorch slowly making his way towards sean connery so if sean connery looks nervous in the scene that's because he actually is <laughs> true that's another one of those bits of movie magic that seems kind of a bit medieval honestly as they worked it out also i love the idea that goldfinger has a laser for specifically for cutting gold and it's like gold is below melting point metal i, I don't really understand why this is necessary but he later it later gets used in operation grand slams well i suppose for cutting through a safe door but it just seems like kind of an amusing element to it that you know this is not really the best way for handling gold but so be it it's, it's a, it is a good way of justifying it because the, the screenwriters i don't know who they are i didn't write them down but they're probably thinking well so uh, so so bond let's see he needs to torture bond let's see what if he has a laser cut him in half and they say well what would goldfinger be doing with a laser and they go well you know he has gold when he's just cut the golden half with the laser it's true I'm, i gotta admit like the whole goldfinger as much as want to credit the writers with you know clever elements and they, they do change a few things here but um one of the things the writers do have is that goldfinger smuggles gold by storing it in his car 
which is apparently also made of 18 karat gold mm. and his car is like a mainstay throughout and they load it on things and i'm like the gas mileage on a car made out of gold weighed down with smuggled gold or he's like holy crap this doesn't and also i mean gold is like it's a soft malleable metal i just it's it's another one of those great and it's part of what i love about this movie it's just these weird flights of fancy that this man has his car made out of gold and people don't question that it's like he's oh no he's rich enough to be positively eccentric that's cool he's a car made of gold somehow um so yeah there, there's a lot of elements of that 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 you know, a lot, a lot of fun. So I, I guess we'll we'll move on because we get from there to we we bring into to Goldfinger's estate at this point. I think because we're we're introduced soon to Pussy Galore and all her double entendre glory. Yeah, well, they're they're introduced uh, to each other on a plane. Uh, he's flying Bond from Switzerland to um, to Kentucky. For, to Kentucky, that's right. Yeah, your former home. Um, former home. Did you ever visit Fort Knox when you were there? I you know I you know I never really did. It was Fort Knox is always just a place people had to drive for work. It was yeah. only like an hour down the road. But honestly, like there's nothing there really. It's like a military outpost. I think it's just like there's yeah. stuff there, but there's nothing you really want to see there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it, it was kind of cool seeing '60s Kentucky. I mean, I like that they they shoehorn in so much of like it's just Felix Leiter and his gang just pretty much sit outside a KFC for three days. If we're to to judge on the editing of certain sequences, that's right. I wrote drink, down. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, they, they have a KFC and then they drink mint juleps and there's horses. They have a stud ranch that, that Goldfinger owns. So like they really just were like jamming as much Kentucky stuff as they can. Of course, Fort Knox was at the time uh, the U.S.'s primary place for storing gold. I believe that's now in New York. I think they've actually moved a lot of the gold out of Fort Knox. But anyhow, back then it was all accurate. And we meet Pussy Galore and also, um, what's her name, Mai Ling, I think is the uh, or melee is actually the the character's name played by my ling which is a little bit confusing mm-hmm. so melee is uh goldfinger's personal air hostess and peeping tom as my notes put down i like the goldfinger's uh personal jet literally has just peepholes everywhere into the bathroom which suggests goldfinger's actually a much more deranged character in the movie really gives us gives him credit for but, yeah, uh, and Bond knows exactly where they are because he keeps playfully covering them up when she's trying does. to he, spy on him. He seems like a man who knows. His, he seems like a man who knows his way around peepholes, to be honest. Uh, but yes, yeah. he he carefully blocks all of them and gets ready. And he's introduced, of course, to Goldfinger's pilot, Pussy Galore, or Pussy, as uh, Sean Connery keeps saying it, which is kind of I don't know if that makes it better. Uh, I did enjoy reading that apparently for um, marketing in the United States, uh, a lot of people were not comfortable with Pussy Galore name and they kept referring to her in marketing materials as either uh either as miss galore or as goldfinger's personal pilot <laughs> which uh you know i guess it makes sense i like, like there's a feeling of devil may care to naming a character pussy galore that really does suggest like yeah. we don't care we're doing this and um, and what's weird about it is for all the ridiculous of her name she's actually one of the most uh kind of independently minded bond girls i think like she's uh she's an accomplished pilot she's really in it for the money she knows judo she's smart and tough and all those things and yeah, it's just, yeah. she she rebuffs bond's advances i mean it's it's sort of hinted here but also explicitly stated in the novel that she's a lesbian but um but bond's charm doesn't initially quite work on her until he 
uh, as I put down in my notes, the scene in the barn where he judos the gay away from her. (laughs) As is a known technique. Yes, uh, you get that one in finishing school. So, um, yeah, yeah, he does indeed. They they have that. Pussy Galore also runs Pussy Galore's Flying Circus, Mm -hmm. which is an amazing name for any kind of an entity, which is an all-female stunt piloting team who are employed in Operation Grand Slam. Yeah. Pussy Galore is, is interesting. It's uh, an interesting she's actually, and this one may become useful later on, but uh, played by Honor Blackman, who's best known probably for the Avengers TV series. Uh, but she's actually, she's five years older than Connery. So this is, I'm not sure if this is the first. Where I was going to say, yeah, you're, when, you, when, you, when we run your numbers at the end, this is the first and I, one of the few, if not the only, subversion of that uh, where the Bond girl is much younger than the Bond. So yeah, this, this is an interesting one. Very, yeah, it kind of adds an interesting element to it. But yeah, Pussy Galore, I do like. I think the name is ridiculous. It's may, Pussy Galore may honestly be a step too far for me um, as yeah. I try and weigh up the film. But as a character, she's she's something she's not like she's i know she still falls into the same characteristics she's not exactly you know a wonderful example for females out there looking for positive representation on the screen but she does at least handle her own affairs and doesn't exactly take any crap from anyone uh so pussy galore yeah she's i in the pantheon of bond girls i think she's one of easily one of the greatest and i honestly the name is really the only thing holding her back from being the best uh at least in my opinion but um honor blackman is just so charismatic in the role and she's she's so wonderful she's also kind of owns the role and the name and she's the kind of person who if you were to make fun of that name to her face she'd probably uh break your nose uh, exactly yeah and i think so. she she redeems it i think a lot of other actresses maybe wouldn't have would wouldn't be able to i mean yeah pussy galore is the kind of name that made austin powers of course famously later had a lot of vagina and honestly that name's not markedly sillier than pussy galore it's one of those jokes in austin powers that actually doesn't go far enough from the original to even work very well because the original is so far off the off the rails but yeah honor blackman carries it with i think she's she plays like she can play it a little bit less sexy a little bit more rugged dangerous so i think that really works in her works to her advantage in the film of course she does eventually swap over um which mm-hmm. I guess let's discuss Operation Grand Slam, which is one of my favorite sequences in this film. So James Bond escapes yeah. from he escapes from a cell with one of the dumbest security guards in the world. Who <laughs> why would why would ducking below the window make the guard think? Oh my god, did he really leave the room? <laughs> wow, yeah, did he really leave the room? Let me just swing the door wide open and walk right in with no one else watching, just on my own. Fantastic security. So um, he probably should have gone. Was he Korean? I feel like all the other people were Korean, but I don't remember if this guy was. Maybe this one should have been at source of the Koreans as well, because they, they handle this stuff pretty well throughout the rest of the film. But Yeah, um, I think this guy was supposed to be Korean. Probably was. I guess he's just uh, someone's idiot brother who got the job for him, and, and he's screwed up once again. So James, yeah. James Bond escapes, and he, he, he heads out, and he finds himself in earshot of goldfinger explaining his plan i love this sequence because it's in this fantastic open plan villa like this huge room with a grand piano or with a billiard table and and with all these uh, you know wonderful lights and everything and he's in there with all these head up mafioso characters and he um he explains Operation Grand Slam to all of them. And what I love about this is there's some things I really enjoy about the Bond films, I guess, is they all have this kind of um, 
always like an extravagant impracticality to them, which we've all come to accept. And this, I think, is one of the great examples of it because Goldfinger basically hits a couple of buttons and the entire room transforms, seemingly as if the room was only ever designed to outline this one plan. Like he built an entire house to basically serves a staging operation for explaining this plan about Operation Grand Slam. He has a, a, the billiard table moves mm-hmm. automatically, like glides away, which you, it's not an easy thing to do with something that weighs as much as one of those. And if the statue comes out, if a statue of Fort Knox, a little model, comes out of the, the, the floor, which James Bond actually hides underneath. Um, and he does all of this to explain to the mafioso that... Uh, They've all brought different parts in that he uses for his plan, and if they stick with him, then they'll make even more money. They've all agreed to be pay them a million dollars to do it, but if they don't accept that payment and wait a little while, he'll pay them $10 million. And uh, they're all very confused about it, and one guy decides he, he doesn't want any of this, so he leaves. Um, Mr. Yeah. Solo, interestingly enough, is his name, which I guess uh, works out for him. He's the solo guy who decides to leave, uh, and the rest stay, and they hear Goldfinger out, and they go, this is madness, this is insane. And then Goldfinger proceeds, he murders Mr. Solo, um, odd job, captures him in a car and kills him and then puts him in a car crusher and crushes him, which is one of the most more grisly, I mean, it's implied, it's not particularly explicitly shown, but I mean, it's kind of one of the more grisly implied deaths of the Bond season of series of thus far. And then yeah. Goldfinger murders all of the other mafioso characters with the nerve gas he imported which he's going to use he's going to douse the entire place with nerve gas and this is like i say one of the great extravagant impracticalities that he seems to build a house to showcase explain this plan to a group of men he's already decided he's going to kill um which you know yeah, it's just, only for the benefit of the audience it is and that's it's, it's this weird setup and I, and I really like i say it's one of my favorite sequences because it's really it's it's just a great cinematic spectacle, and it also highlights that Goldfinger is maybe just kind of deranged. And I also enjoy Operation Grand Slam, which, to clarify, is explained as basically uh, Pussy Galore and her flying circus are going to fly over Fort Knox and just douse the whole area in fatal nerve gas, killing 60,000 U.S. military men and women. Yeah. And then they're going to drive in, and they're going to detonate a dirty bomb. They're going to break into Fort Knox, detonate a dirty bomb in the... Uh, gold vault irradiating all the gold so no one can go near it and then from that they're gonna they, they, that means that goldfinger's personal gold share is going to escalate in value because all of the gold in four knocks is going to be inaccessible because it's radioactive which is a plan that goldfinger says he's been working on for years he even makes a comment that there's been no grand uh I can't remember exactly what he said. Oh, man has achieved miracles in every endeavor except crime. That's right. Which is not really true. I feel like the Nazis uh, and various people before them really had wonderful endeavors in crime. Um, but anyhow, uh, you know, depending on your depending on your your frame of reference. But his grand his grand endeavor in crime is basically, and the thing he's been planning for years, is a blunt force trauma. Uh, raid of a military he's basically just going to kill 60,000 people and blow some shit up and then just detonate a bomb in the middle of it it's like just nuke it I don't know like I just feel like it's not a really amazing plan plus the amount of people involved in the plan as we see when he starts to execute involves uh, Pussy Galore's entire uh, flying circus Um the mafioso people admittedly clears them out but maybe other people reporting to them also knew Goldfinger goes to the thing himself. He shows up to his own grand heist, and then he has, like, vans full of Korean henchmen. This is, like, the least well-protected crime I've ever seen. I mean, even if they, even if he executes it, they're going to know who did it. 
how is he going to make a lot of money off his gold reserves? It's a very, and again, like, it's just a very outlandish element. And compared, particularly, even to Dr. No, this is just a really outlandish kind of a, a setup. Yeah, it is outlandish and sort of unnecessarily so, but it is also one of the things where you, you kind of have to go with it with a Bond film because if you look back, it immediately falls apart. Um, sure. So, but but yeah, I, I do I do admire the the grandeur of his screen, of his scheme. I think it's sort of sort of goes along with the ethos of the filmmakers is that we you know let's let's bigger is better. Let's do it bigger. And um, the entire heist is predicated on this poison gas that is supposed to kill everyone on the ground. And um, as Pussy Galore has a change of heart and she switches the gas canisters out for something. Um, that's not less lethal and something that is essentially would have no effect. So all of the soldiers uh, essentially fall down and play dead as Goldfinger drives right up to the, the reserve. And the funny thing is, is that they remain fake unconscious for such a long time to let Goldfinger cut into Fort Knox so he can plant his bomb in there. And he actually plants his bomb in there before they decide to take action. That's a very... I, I mean, I was just thinking about how, how insane it is that the military itself would let the criminals get so far. It's like entrapment. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, no, make sure the dirty bomb is ready to explode before we take any major action. That's a very good idea. Yeah. That's true. Um, and I also appreciate that all of them, they faint and collapse off the road so they can still conveniently drive yeah. the vehicle goes in and uh, yeah i mean to choreograph sixty thousand men uh, to fake collapse to allow a guy to break into fort knox and catch him red-handed um yeah it's it's a crazy plan it's operation grand slam it's uh, the grandest of slams indeed um but of course as we realized from this after as you say james bond uh, judoed the the lesbianism out of out of pussy galore that she she decides yes it's time to change them but she still goes ahead and jettisons like they they still change the tanks i'm just wondering where she got like how do you dispose of many, many canisters of incredibly fatal nerve gas? Like, where do you bring those to get rid of them and then get other canisters that look exactly like that, that are full of something less harmful? Very good question. I don't know what kind of hookups she has that she manages to do that when no one else notices, but it's very a, impressive. That's a good question. Probably <laughs> took them to the local U-Haul and uh, got them filled with helium or something. Probably. She's pretty monster. She's probably like, there's a local propane tank rack there with like, just a ton of like nerve gas up there and then no one knows about it. The next barbecue is going to really go really badly wrong for someone mm-hmm. but um yeah so so we we have of course this brings us to our grand finale which is of course that they're all they've broken successfully into the vault at uh at fort Knox. yeah um which the vault uh, the vault design thing is great and it's, it's worth mentioning at this point that ken adams came back as production designer in this film he wasn't in with uh from russia with love he did work on dr no and he came back in and um Essentially, he said he. Of course, they weren't allowed access to Fort Knox. It's a little bit of a security thing. Yeah. Um. But he was. He was. He had been to Britain's to the like the Bank of Britain, and he says that honestly, he'd seen gold reserves being held there, and it's actually pretty boring looking. It's just like they don't even stack it very high or whatever. So he basically just went with his imagination on this and he created this grandiose labyrinth of piles of gold and everything, um, which looks fantastic. It's a really, a really great great setup um and it's all like barriers and like it, it kind of looks like a prison maze almost like there's just so many staircases and railings and just gold lying around the place um 
and it, we, Adam weirdly enough, I thought it was kind of cool that uh, Ken Adams was he was nominated for a BAFTA for art direction yeah. in color for this film and he didn't win that but he did win the black and white equivalent award for uh, art direction for Dr. Strangelove in the exact same award ceremony <laughs> so he pretty much had 1965 sewn up between uh between Strange Love and Goldfinger, which are both uh, almost like outlandish depictions of, of man, egoism, and, and folly. It's, uh, one's a little bit more fanged than the other, perhaps. But That's another uh, interesting thing, because with uh, Dr. Strangelove, Ken Adam was not allowed access to inside military jets or any photos to see what the interior of a jet would look like, so he just sort of designed what he think it would look like, and apparently it looked too realistic that the military came after him saying, how did you get this information? That's, yeah, and that's uh, that's interesting because uh, there were complaints apparently levied even against Goldfinger for that. There were Americans who were outraged that the government allowed British film uh, cameras into into Fort Knox because they just took it as real. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it works. I mean, yeah, it, it looks great. It's true. It's a stunning, stunning set piece. It's a stunning backdrop for an action sequence. Uh, this is where we get the Bond versus Odd Job fight, which I think is really great. Yeah, I will, as I talked about, like as I mentioned earlier on, I'll talk about how I feel that From Rush With Love is better, maybe individual ingredients, um, but Goldfinger's maybe overall, for me, a better film or a more enjoyable film. And certainly, like, the, the fight between Odd Job and James Bond, and also it's worth mentioning Bob Simmons was back on this movie as well as stunt coordinator, and he, again, he, just like Ken Adams, had yeah. worked in Doctor No, had not worked on From Russian yeah. Glove and came back in, so he choreographed this whole thing. I gotta admit, I, I read some reviews that really were really glowing about the Odd Job Bond fight, and it's good. It's really, like, it's an entertaining kind of on fight yeah. but it's not the same it's like it's just not as good as uh, the fight between grant and connery and from russia with love you know that tight quarter train fight really has a physicality to it i suppose this is a little bit more stylized i mean we you know and it, it ends with yeah. it ends with of course uh with with odd job being electrocuted by his own hat as he reaches to an electrified fence and of course apparently Sakata actually was injured in that and like a, a badass that he actually was uh, he, yeah. they were electrocuting him and burning his hand and he held onto the thing until the director yelled caught anyway so um three cheers for him and his professionalism but I, I love reading back on these things and realizing how like honestly so much of film production is honestly just cowboy rigging of stuff and the hope that no one dies oh god uh, yeah if you if you uh any listeners out there if you like horses you should probably never uh watch the film stagecoach just oh uh, yeah yeah just oh, any early western they yeah. tripped horses like it's actually interesting if you look back on a uh, british uh, editing and british british censorship like the the british board of film certification keep a, a website with uh where they publicly list cuts for everything because that there are government bodies they have all that if yeah. you look at any old westerns they all have these like just often some like 40 50 tiny cuts in them and that's literally every single scene of them tripping a horse because they really tripped horses back in those and that's animal cruelty straight up <laughs> And that's what they so so all of yeah. those are like weirdly edited. Um yeah, yeah. This this one is uh I guess the next film we, we go to talk about has a little bit more actual animal cruelty. Um but in this case odd jobs uh, odd job yeah. uh, holds it together pretty well. So so good for him. Uh, Connery was also injured apparently in a fight in this and he managed to wrangle himself a pay bump out of it. He managed to get five percent of the gross of future bond films as part of a settlement because he managed to injure his back uh, in a fight against odd job. I don't know if it was a big final fight presumably so i don't think they have a really major tussle prior to that but it's a pretty physical fight it's pretty good uh, and then we have of course prior to that we have so many other elements i mean we have the, the 
bomb uh, that Bond is handcuffed to that he uh, he manages to escape or get freed from because Oddjob kills an, another guy who dropped keys. So yeah, there's there's this sort there's this general character who's also one of uh, Goldfinger's top underlings, and um, once the military starts attacking the base, Goldfinger locks him, Oddjob, and Bond in the vault, and he runs down to try to def- to stop the bomb because he doesn't want to die, and and Oddjob in his head is like, no, I will let my boss carry out his wishes, and he murders the guy uh, to to let the plan go into effect. And that he actually he it's actually kind of he doesn't work it works against odd job because he throws the guy over the balcony down to where Bond is handcuffed and Bond is able to get to his body and take the key out and unlock himself and escape yes and then of course we have odd job having to fight for him meanwhile through yeah. this this was an interesting because I never I didn't really remember this um, Goldfinger escapes because underneath his clothes he's wearing a military uniform and even despite his yeah. even his dope his uh, prominent German accent as he declares himself to be a US general they let him go even though he's carrying a golden gun he he has a gun made out of gold making he the is, first yeah the I first the original the original man with the golden gun in the bond franchise and for some reason that's not considered unusual at all by american military men who intervene because none of them were actually knocked out um and they they rush in and they let him go and he he walks right out there he did, gives up on his plan immediately after scores of his korean underlings are all basically run down with machine gun fire yeah. um and he he just heads out which uh, i guess is kind of like a clever little get out clause for him he's used he, he always has the other thing covered and he sacrifices everyone else the the uh, henchman who gets thrown it's apparently his name is kish ah. he's played by michael mellinger and i honestly have no recollection of what he looks like i've got to admit it was not a very memorable role he looks like a, um, a young robert blake oh well there there you go um yeah i don't i don't even remember that much yeah. uh also in there which i thought was kind of interesting is that uh, there's mr ling who's a chinese weapons expert who is helping with the dirty bomb they're moving in who goldfinger i believe shoots and mm-hmm. uh, who's played by Gert, Bert kwok who i grew up with watching him as kato and the pink panther movies i don't oh. recall if he has much to say in this one but uh he's there kind of a little little touch and of course uh chinese uh nuclear threat was somewhat topical i guess in 1964 um probably as topical as north korean nuclear threat is nowadays so yeah that was so so we we get to all that we we get of course the defeat of gold you know the goldfinger's plan goes awry the u.s military come in they they get everyone um which means uh james bond is of course congratulated they they, they defuse the bomb it's worth knowing james bond actually weirdly enough does not defuse the bomb they don't give him that honor which i just thought was a little bit unusual but i guess it's not the it's somewhat realistic. He's trying to defuse the bomb, but he doesn't know what to do because that's like a specialist job that he, people train for. He so yeah, he spends like ten minutes trying to bust open the the case that the nuclear bomb is in with two gold bricks. And then once he gets it open, he literally has no idea what to do. And he he sees a spinning motor and he tries to put both of his hands on it to stop it from spinning, thinking that will <laughs> shut it down. But uh, yeah, one scientist just sort of comes in and flicks the switch on the side and the timer reads 007. 
DS. Very nice, very nice little touch, of course. So this leads us to Bond being invited to the White House. uh, And he's going on a jet to do that. And he gets on his jet. And then who should be on the jet with him? But of course, Goldfinger, who escaped. Right. Uh, Which, of course, brings us to, I guess, not Chekhov's gun, but Chekhov's explanation of uh, explosive decompression in airplanes, which occurred during the first plane uh, element when when we had Myling and the peeping Tom, etc., that they explained that if you were to shoot a gun in an airplane and it punctured one of the windows, you would have explosive decompression, and that would be, quote-unquote, bad. Uh, so in this time, in this second airplane uh, adventure, what would happen? But of course, Goldfinger does indeed fire and blows out a window and gets his entire body, which is impressive, because uh, he's not a very slim person, no. gets sucked out uh, <laughs> through the window in a very, uh, what must be very, I guess, embarrassing and awful death, which I yeah. guess is, is kind of part of the fun of the film. And of course, uh, Bond responds to that with uh, his declaration that he is playing his golden harp. That is my favorite <laughs> line in the whole film. Just the, just the matter-of-fact <laughs> way Bond says it, because he goes to the front cockpit where... Uh, Pussy Galore is unconscious, and she wakes up, and she says, what happened? Where's Goldfinger? And he just says, playing his golden harp. <laughs> so just the way he sort of throws that line away, that's one of those casual one-liners that I really go for. It's pretty good, except that we have to imagine that somewhere in middle America, somebody's going to find a oh. fat, dead dude in a field or something. Somebody but... having a picnic in a... <laughs> Bond, just, Bond just doesn't care about the yeah. collateral damage. I noticed, actually, because uh, he, he also says, when he kills odd job, he says he blew a fuse after he electrifies him on the fence which makes that two bad electrician or, or electrocution gags in the same movie uh, they're really playing well, on that he, one he already used shocking so he so, couldn't do that again so yeah that was taken so definitely had to go with that so i suppose uh, yeah. moving moving on from this like the, i guess the, the general discussion i think my my main question for this is and i will will deal with it we deal with more of them but would you consider like is this maybe the most quintessential james bond movie uh, oh, absolutely. I would say so. Um, it's not honestly not my personal favorite, but I, I do think it is um, probably the most iconic Bond film there is. Um, it's got a great villain. It's got a great henchman, a great, uh, great Bond girl. It's got a terrific uh, opening theme and uh, one of the more memorable plots and also has a lot of elements that uh, can be seen as iconic in their own right, such as the uh, the gold painted lady and the the gadgets in the car, and really, it, it's one of the most fun and entertaining Bond films there is. And I think uh, I think when people think of classic Bond, this is the first one that jumps to mind. So, yeah. uh, revisiting Goldfinger. I would say yes, it is well deserved of its reputation. Yeah, I, I would definitely, I would agree with that. And I think, I think maybe even for people who are interested in James Bond, this is probably a really good introduction element. Like, really, this sets in motion like anything you like about Bond. This is, I don't, I suppose maybe those cigar maybe, maybe it's too perfect. Maybe you should hold out that, hold that one off for a little while. I don't know. Well, I don't know which. What would you recommend? Do you think people should dive in with Goldfinger or maybe? You know, start with something else that's also pretty quintessentially Bond and work up to this as a perfection of the form? Um, no, I think it, if, if you're going to just jump around a little bit, I think Goldfinger would be as, as great and safe a place to start as many. I mean, it, you would be setting a really high bar for yourself if you wanted to explore later films. I mean, personally, for me, the correct answer would just be to get get them all and watch them all in order. Sure. But um, yeah. if, you're, uh, if you're looking to if you're looking to save some time, I think Goldfinger makes a terrific starting point. 
Sure. Okay. Yeah, no, I I think I agree with that. I also want to mention this because I think it's just an interesting point. We talk about the writers and their weird conventions, but one thing they do apparently fix from the novel, which I didn't realize. Have you have you read the novel of Goldfinger? I think you I, said. I did read Goldfinger, yeah. The one one key difference I remember, two of them at least. Um so Goldfinger's original plot in the novel is he was going to break into Fort Knox and steal all the gold exactly uh, in trucks, like what uh Bond says. Which, yeah, Bond uh, dismisses that idea and pointedly dismisses it in the movie because I think people kind of point out that would be, it would take so long to load up all the gold in Fort Knox that it would be, in, yeah. like, you'd never get away with that. So in this one, it, he irradiates it. Yeah, so then then um, Goldfinger escapes, but he takes Bond with him unconscious on a plane. And when Bond wakes up, he smashes a window of the plane himself, and Oddjob gets sucked out, is the one that gets sucked out of the plane. And then he strangles Goldfinger and uh, lands the plane safely. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah I feel like so. they, they. I think they they made some good, like truly cinematic changes in this. Uh, oh yeah, that, for that sure. Sounds, that sounds pretty good to me. And um, also, yeah. also an interesting thing I noticed about this film, just we clear up a couple of points here and there, is that apparently Ian Fleming died. He visited the production of this film, but he died just a little bit before the film was released. So yeah. I guess that makes from Russia with the love of the last Bond film he probably saw, yeah. which is something he shares, unfortunately, with John F. Kennedy, who also, that was his last film he saw before his assassination, mm. was rushed, I believe, to, to complete, to be shown for his, when he was brought in. Um, but yeah, uh, so so that, that I think is interesting. That's we, we lost James Bond's creator yeah. during the production of this film. Um, so do you, do you have any, any other things you'd like to add before we run our numbers on this one? Um, no, I, uh, Goldfinger is one I was um, a little worried about uh, rewatching because I always think so highly of it and everyone refers to it as the quintessential Bond film. And I thought, oh, well, there's a good chance it might not hold up. And I really loved From Russia with Love this time around. But uh, no, I was pleased to find that uh, Goldfinger does still indeed hold up. And I still very much enjoy it to this day. So yay, Goldfinger. Ooh, okay, cool. All right, so run some so numbers. Run some numbers. So as as people may know, we're we're keeping tally of a couple of vital statistics throughout these movies because we're those kinds of people. So mm-hmm. I've been tracking body count throughout all of these, and also misattributing uh, the '90s rock rap group to Ice Cube when in fact it was Ice T. I listened back to our Doctor No episode and I realized I got the wrong Ice, and I deeply apologize ah. to anyone I offended while making a completely unnecessary reference like that in the in the course of my podcasting. But anyhow, moving on from that, back to the body count of the James Bond movies, uh, we have James Bond kills eight people in this, which Mm. is um, one less person than he killed in From Russia With Love, and it brings his total body count to 20. (laughs) James Bond has killed roughly 20 people. We acknowledge in Dr. No, he blows up an entire base. We don't know how many people killed, so we're dealing in, in... you know, visible death. And and the eight people in this is the man in the bathroom at the start. Yeah. I count he kills four in the car, four Korean henchmen with the car that crashes off the cliff. Right. And the guy in the ejector seat, I, I, I wrote down for that, if he didn't die, he's not going to be happy. Uh, they do have a shot of people picking up later, but he does not look conscious in that. So I'm going to assume he died. He got shot out of a car at speed. So I figure safe safe guess on that very possible uh, yeah. job dies mm-hmm. and then goldfinger yeah. dies so I, f- I feel that's a fair count so we have eight people yeah bond sleeps bond sleeps with two women mm-hmm. jill masterson and pussy galore um 
which is down. This is practically a chased James Bond outing. Honestly, that's that's less than from Russia with Love, but it does bring uh, his tally to eight women since we started working three movies in. Uh, Bond movie, the only person who slept with more people than Jerry Seinfeld did in his show. Yeah. Uh, although that's not true. I'm pretty sure Jerry Seinfeld's count is even higher because he had a different girlfriend in every single episode. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, which is a remarkable feat. Age differences between... Uh, James Bond and the women in the film. Uh, we're going to be charting this one because we know it's going to get real interesting uh, at certain elements. Sean Connery is around 34 in this movie. Shirley Eaton, who played Jill Masterson, was 27. So that's only seven-year age difference, which is not insignificant. Um, but also significantly less than the 12 years between Connery and uh, Beyonce and uh, From Russia With Love. So it's something. It's like it's pulling it down and as we mentioned before honor blackman playing pop pussy glow is five years older than sean connery this is a practically progressive element of the film yeah remarkable she was 39 at the time of filming this uh so honestly that's almost for hollywood that's <laughs> sadly enough that's almost like kind of amazing that she got to do it at all but i mean she was such an icon in the avengers etc i guess they had the good sense to to let her do her thing and we're we're all the richer for it mm. uh, so i'm glad they did so um i don't do you have any any other elements to add i do i got some i got some box office numbers oh you got the box office so this is uh this is pretty pretty crazy here um shot on a budget of three million um so viewers may recall dr no was one million from rush with love is two million now we're at three million for goldfinger mm. uh Grosses in the in the U.S. alone grosses fifty one million dollars. Damn, nineteen sixty four adjusted for inflation. That's five hundred and ninety two million dollars. So this movie made some. Bank. Who even needs to raid the the gold reserves when you got that kind of stuff going on? That's pretty good. Yeah, just make just make a yeah, guys, just make a Bond movie yeah. if you want to be rich and famous. I'm thinking, you know, like <laughs> that's all there is. All there is to it. Looking at those movies, you know, it's like what, yeah. cats face go. Yeah, I know you. My cat likes making uh, money. Too. Sounds like your house is pussy galore. Pussy. Huh? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, there they are. Yeah, that one's for you, Sean Glennis. Oh, he'll appreciate that one. Yeah. Better get a shout out from him yeah okay so i think that's yeah. well one more mm-hmm. uh, one more thing real quick uh this is the first bond film to win an oscar that's right won, uh in 1965 for best sound effects so uh yeah which is a job an interesting one to win but i, I guess this is a kind of an this is a blockbuster effects film essentially so yeah i guess it makes sense and that's true this is our first of that's the first and not the last oscar that the the bond films will win so um, yeah, I think I think with that we've we've pretty much run over the entirety of the uh, the Goldfinger catalog. Um, so I don't know. Do you have do you have anything particularly incredible you wanna you wanna finish up with? Yeah, I think uh, I think we covered just about everything I have here. But yeah, this okay. is uh, this is a very uh, very successful entry in the Bond canon. Definitely, highly highly recommended. So Jake, where, sure. where can we where can we reach you on Twitter? Of course, yes. I am at Jake Tropila. It's uh, J A K E T R O P I L A. Cool. Um, and you can you can there. reach me. Yeah, you can reach me at Real Jack Eason. That's O R E A L J A C K E A S O N. So if you have any questions, concerns, want to point out any glaring errors we made, want to provide constructive criticism, uh, reach out. Let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about with regard to James Bond movies. Because like I mentioned, we are going to be going through all of them. Uh, right. So we got, we got a long road ahead of us. So if there's anything particular you'd like us to bring up with some of the future entries, do let us know. So um, uh-huh. what's what's the optimism vaccine email address that I can for some reason never remember? 
Yeah, you can uh, you can field us questions at optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Um, might be easier just to tweet at us, though, at uh, optimismvaccine, at optimismvaccine. That's true. It's all technically monitored, but we're all very lazy. So, um, yeah, the easiest way to get us uh, what we need. Uh, so I guess yeah. that's, that's it for Goldfinger. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We will be returning with Thunderball. Uh, and until yeah. then, have a great time. Take care.